Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment. Today, I'm sitting in sunny Seattle in February with the president of Fisher Morant Stone, Charles Stone. He joined the company in 1983 when they were based in New York City and has since then helped open a studio on the West Coast in Seattle, Washington. Please join me in welcoming Charles to the Light Pod. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? Good afternoon. It's great to see you. Thanks again for having me here in your office. And I really do feel honored to have some sunshine here in Seattle in the middle of winter. It happens. Lucky for me, I'll be out of here hopefully before the sun goes down and the fog comes back. But hey, walk me through um, who Charles Stone is. How did you get into this lighting industry? I went backstage at age 11 to the Harrisburg Community Theater and uh, met a cranky old scenic artist called uh, Jerry Giddings and a wannabe lighting designer called Tom D'Agostino. Wannabe as in he probably wanted to be on Broadway, but instead he was in Harrisburg. What's wrong with Harrisburg? Nothing at all. And he, uh, uh, the community theater there was, a, and still is, a uh, a touchstone and uh, there were lots of lights to play with and it kept me out of trouble what kind of trouble never mind <laughs> moving on i was introduced to fresnels and Lico's, and my parents had to pick me up at midnight every night which was the downside for them i guess and all that meant was you were spending a lot of time in the theater because you enjoyed being there and one thing led to the uh, the next i uh, was on the stage crew in high school and even acted in some some of the plays. And I had a speech and drama coach, Lillian Uditz, and I thank her to this day because I'm not afraid to stand in front of a, a bunch of people or a small microphone. Are you implying that you might be in front of a small microphone right I now? I am. It's, it's nice, though. I think it's rather large and cute, if you ask me. And it says road on it. I'm not quite sure what that means, but looks kind of fancy. You spent that early part of your childhood and then into high school in theatrical lighting. Fast forward to 2020, 50 years later, you're in architectural lighting. How did you find architectural lighting and decide that was the career path you wanted to follow? Well, a couple of pieces to that story. I actually was an English major at the university and wrote papers about lighting and actually got a, I was one of the first recipients of a certificate in lighting design uh, in the program in theater and dance at Princeton University. That was something they made up for me, I'm pretty sure. I guess I was the first to get such a certificate, although there have been others. Completely made up. Anyway, I was writing term papers and a thesis all about design without really having a lot of much at all in a way of proper design education, which really came later. And then I found my way to, after doing all kinds of plays in college, I found my way to summer stock briefly and to off, 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 triple off Broadway, where you're as likely to be a temporary plumber as a lighting designer. So is that, um, is that in the Bronx? Is that in Brooklyn? No, <laughs> where is that at? It was somewhere, it was somewhere in East 6th Street at that time. I don't know. There were Indian restaurants. It was crazy. But anyway, the food was good. 
and 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 McCarter Theater in Princeton. I was there a lot too. But I was introduced to uh, an architect in the Princeton area and started doing wedding design for little projects. And the next thing I know, I was introduced to Claude Engel down in Washington and joined him for a few years. And then for reasons also of life and love, found my way to New York where I joined Jules Fisher and Paul Morantz in about 1983. And from there, you've spent the better part of what almost 50 years practicing well the 50 would have to start when i was about 11 okay but yeah that makes sense (laughs) but yes that would be 37 years or so with jules and paul who still come to the office every day by the way so cool um and they walk to work lucky them I don't quite get to walk to work. Do you get to walk to work when you're traveling around the world? No, but I walked to work this morning here in Seattle. Which must have been nice. Do you find that as you've grown through your entire career of 37 years, thanks for correcting my math, by That's the way. Okay. I appreciate it. Wait, let's not make it more than it has to be. Yeah, I did go to engineering school, but sometimes things are just tough, you know. Over the last 37 years, mentorship has been something that you found with the two Uh, founders of FMS, you've had the opportunity to learn and then also turn around and give back. I'm sure along the way you've kept a book or a list of things that are curious to you that you might want to share with other people who are in lighting design, what maybe they might be interested in or ultimately should seek to be curious about. Well, well asked. Uh, I used to keep journals, actually. I'm not as good at it anymore because of the iOS devices surrounding me. Um, but the question comes to what have I observed in in others who I admire or, or what did they teach me or what experiences seem to contribute to a career in lighting design? What's uh, What are meaningful lessons? Or what, what kinds of things should we have curiosity about? I'm pretty sure the list that I have in my head is common to all kinds of design. Uh, I really like it when people can draw freehand because it's it's not quite true that you can just take your tablet out and draw for the client in the in the meeting. If the client wants something different and you want to be able to, you should be able to draw. You you need to be able to pick up a pencil, and so that's one of the skills. It's it's, it's, it's learnable. Does an Apple pencil count? It counts, but then you've got to make sure you're on screen. Everybody can see it. Sure, it counts. Um, I play with it all the time. But when we discussed how to frame this time together, also in my mind were the curiosities of, of art history or certain painters or other kinds of artists who seem to be touchstones or uh, inspiration is a word, I guess, but they help one understand lighting. And so I... I like to go to museums and look at certain kinds of shows, and I think that's an activity we need to do as lighting designers. Another example is, I was mentioning earlier last week, I was in Sir John Stone's house in London, well known for its daylight manipulations and brilliance. And just to be there and to look at it all and to take it in again I felt inspiring and worthwhile to get back in touch with it. And I have been there many times. What do you think was the driving force behind the first time and then coming back so many more times leading up to this time? 
Was it your genuine curiosity? Oh, yes, but I'm, I had the time, I had a couple hours to spare, but I'm also beginning to prepare a talk in my Traveling Light series, which will focus on museums and specifically discuss the history of lighting of art from the perspective of our own portfolio at Fisher Moran Stone. And I'm going to have to do my study to do that properly. So I'm just doing that. So as a, as a professional of 37 years and someone on, with a belt of experience, so to speak, that doesn't necessarily mean you know everything and you continue to seek an opportunity to learn. I don't know much. In the last couple of years, as, as I've been, you know, you age and parts don't work as well. So I've become much more knowledgeable about my eyes, the physiology and physics surrounding your, your eye, how your eyes work. And I thought I knew something about it and I didn't know much. I do know more now. I've spent some time studying it. And you, you can think of the importance this way. The only part of your brain that, that comes out of the cranial cavity is your optical nerve, which essentially begins, or you might say terminates, but I say begins in your, in your retina, the back of your eye. And think of it another way, the whole world is thus before it. And remember that before that whole world gets to your retina, it has to go through your eyeball, your cornea, and the vitreous humor and all of the organic parts of your eye. And so understanding better how this all works, how does it relate to color, color, contra color contrast, sensitivity, how do you see edges, how do you understand contrast, how do you, how does your brain process the tremendous dynamic range of light that we are able to see? You can see, you can read the headline of the newspaper under a full moon, far less than a foot candle, and you can tolerate on the equator you might wear sunglasses, but you don't have to on the beach where you have far more than 10,000 foot candles. Maybe I've measured up to 12 or 13. The meter has trouble. Over 10,000. But your eye doesn't. How about that? And I don't think we teach that well enough in any school and it doesn't fit neatly into the curriculum of lighting design at any of the schools I visit. I mean, I'm sure everybody's in pre-med that goes into lighting, right? We need a few. That might be a, a career path for those medical students out there. Okay, I like that. That's another example, though, the, the knowing about the eye. Yeah. And some formal training about the color, uh, the, the different color systems. At uh, the technical end of that, it, we're right in the beginning of essentially implementing what is TM30, as a way of writing a specification that means something in the world of LEDs with regard to color. And at the other end of the equation, you know, you can look at the various uh, spectral graphs from 1931 or 1976, looking at the black body curves and understanding what white light is, understanding the different color systems. Why aren't more of us involved in studies or taking tests? to understand the, uh, where, we th where our eyes and our visual system fits into the general populations. So, for example, there's the, the Munsell hue test. Yeah, and it, uh, visually the Munsell, it goes up and down and in and out. It's, a, it's, it's and actually a very... test you can take to test your color contrast discrimination abilities. 
Really? Where, uh, where can you That's do the that? Farnsworth, it's the Farnsworth-Munsell-Hugh-100-Test. Okay. There's an online version of it. Perfect. Which is not great, but... It's a starting you, point. You can get the, the actual physical test. Most uh, universities have one somewhere. Doing that would allow you to understand how you might see something comparatively speaking to other individuals. Might give you bad news about your color abilities. Oh, shucks. <laughs> you know, I always wondered why your pinup wall was pink in your office. There you go. <laughs> Those are some examples of the little bit more in-depth study that I think we should all be doing as lighting designers. And so when I, you talk about mentorship, well, when I look at the young people in our studios, I like to push them into fields of study. Uh, we, we talked earlier about how I like to give away a book every other year or so. I do the book thing mm-hmm. at uh, holiday time. And, you know, lifelong learning is important and it has to be right up front every day. Do you think that lifelong learning is something that you've learned to learn, if that's yes. even allowed to say? Yes, uh, it was the greatest gift of my college education, actually. Was understanding what you have to do. I don't think that it, 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 being an undergraduate at Princeton is the same today as it was when I was there, I wouldn't presume. But what I got out of it was, this is the beginning, the introduction. And from here, you're on your own and you should be curious every day. I'm still finishing the readings from some courses, actually. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm still finishing reading all the codes in the calculus handbook as well. But I think education definitely has an opportunity to set you up for success. But from what you've told me, is really just there to educate you. You need to continue to learn and, and be educated because if you stop learning, what happens? I don't know. I don't want to be there. I think that's when you're dead. I think that every time I learn detail i go into detail and study one of these little side streets i've been talking about whether it's color or the eye i'm probably end up a better lighting designer because i have more tools in the box i have more stories to tell and frequently i have more evidence to back my design work well i tell you what education is something that absolutely is critical to anybody's opportunity to continue to excel at what they've maybe created a baseline for let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll dive into what it means to be a lifelong learner just a little bit more hey it's sam real quick the light pod is brought to you by light eye a hub for ideas education and well a little bit of entertainment Mostly brought to you in the form of this podcast in short two to three minute videos. Check them out. That's L-Y-T-E-I dot com. And welcome back to the light pod. Charles and I were just talking a little bit more about what it means to be a lifelong learner and to never give up on learning, always being curious and ultimately letting that continue to define you as an individual and your opportunity to be successful. Charles, talk to me just a little bit more about what it's meant for you to be a lifelong learner. A friend of mine, uh, the late great Bill Sword, he had this uh, idea that we would have a seminar. This is when I was still living in New Jersey a few years ago, and we would hire a professor and uh, continue our neglected studies. And here we were all in our 50s. And that became formalized, actually, and is now a program. 
But he used the word lifelong learning his father had before him. I remember meeting his father on uh, the main street in Princeton called Nassau Street. And he would say, come on, let's go in the bookstore. And he'd buy you books on the spot. You need to read this, he would say. So I realized as he's, you know, you, you have a career and okay, it's going well. And I go to work and I like it a lot. How will you stay intellectually stimulated? Well, you'll do that if you remain a lifelong learner and uh, remain curious and research and study things. When I go to a recently hired young designer in the studio, I talk to them about 1,000 things because they'll go and sit in a meeting and take notes. And then I'll take them aside and I'll say, well, look, when you know a 1,000 things, maybe you'll be able to say something useful in the meeting. So better get started. It takes about three years to learn a 1,000 things. A few years later, a lot of them will say, you know, I think, I think you're right. I'm learning my 1,000 things. It could be anything. It can be technical details, uh, memorizing code, bits and pieces, you know, all the things you use every day as a lighting designer. And suddenly you're in a meeting with some old old guy or gal and, and they can't remember, but you do because you're younger and you remember the thousand things. So it's an example. And that's a thousand things in three years, but the thousand things are always changing. Yes, they are. What's relevant is always changing. <laughs> We used to have a basket, a wicker basket, like the kind the, the muffins come in at the picnic. Uh, and we filled it with light bulbs. And the idea was that we would, I would take it around to your desk and I could draw every lamp in there freehand without a scale and I could draw them full size. Well, that's no more. There are no more light bulbs. So you had to learn how to draw LED diodes. I mean, no, dra drawing perfect squares, right? What's, 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 what's no, that's, that's definitely not what My what example is that. I had to find something else. <laughs> you had to find something else to draw. What, uh, what did you always appreciate drawing? Where did you learn to draw? Uh, I didn't really learn to draw until after college and I was working for Claude Engel. I n just felt like I wanted to do some night school stuff. So I took calligraphy for a couple of years. Cool. And that was, the, that was the key to learning to draw. Because when you do calligraphy, you have to slow down. And that's the beginning of, you know, left brain, right brain. And then I took uh, several seminars. And actually, my wife and I took them together sometimes on drawing on the right side of the brain. And so one thing uh, led to another. And he started to be able to draw. And then the mo most important thing about drawing when you're a lighting designer is not to do it well, but to do it fast and fearlessly. To be able to demonstrate that idea or that concept you have? Yes. Without fear. Without fear. So and people wh who... Why is without fear so important? We haven't time for your fear. In the sense that... In other words, a client will always appreciate a quick, passionate sketch and really doesn't care if it's no good. Something so, delivered with authority. Yeah, or just with fun. If you're nervous about it and make apologies, it doesn't make the sketch any better. <laughs> <laughs> it makes what's presented possibly... Weaker. Weaker. Not as, not as presentable. So, I mean, it, to be fair, I've gotten better at it. And it's to the point now where I'll stand up and draw on a whiteboard and people will say, oh, well, that was helpful. Thank you for doing that. You did it so quickly. And that's, of course, that occasionally being older helps. 
that's taking 1,000 things that's into right. 10,000 hours of practice. That's of, the 10,000 uh, That's Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. That's Mal- right. Malcolm, I'm sure you're listening. Thank you for the 10,000 hours. We appreciate it. You do. You stick with it and pretty soon you're good at it and you didn't have to try to get there. Yeah. If you, you know, for those who are listening, if you haven't read Malcolm's theory, um, he basically breaks down things you will naturally recognize as people having excelled at like um, playing instruments or being a professional athlete and how basically it takes 10,000 hours to get really, really good at that. You know, Charles, the lifelong learning and you said you learned how to draw and you did it in night school. I think that's something that we should just touch on a little bit more. It's important to understand that when you are a professional and you have a career and you have responsibilities, the learning isn't always going to come in that day to day and you are going to have to seek that out. I think I guess that's true. And then when I came to New York, I was in Washington with the calligraphy. And then in New York, I went to the Art Students League of, for a few years. You have to go there if you're in New York and you want to be any kind of designer. The world's pretty busy today. People seem to be busy. Too bad. Too too busy, <laughs> too, too consumed. Everybody's out of time. But how important is it to try to refocus and find time? And what, what, what do you think people should be doing to to get there well about half the time when i do one of my traveling light talks i think i now have eight of them or maybe ten of them i will in the preface explain to people that the talks came out of a desire to have additional intellectual stimulation out of the office out of the studio but parallel to the work so that the talks would not be project talks. They would not be, and then we did this, and then we did that, and here's how we lit the waterfall. No, they would be more intellectual musings on topics about light, or at least tangential to light. So that's where the topics have come from. The one I'm giving now is uh, future light. They've all been catchy that way. Cultural light, city light, big light, communicating light. And each of them takes a view that there should be a big story. Yes, some of our project pictures fit into the story, but it's not about the projects. The point being, they provided for me a vehicle for my own lifelong learning, something to stimulate my brain and keep me well-versed on what's happening, what's changing, how it compares to what went before, etc. What's a good way to try and stop it and listen to one of those or watch them? Uh, I've not been very disciplined about that. They're not, most of them are not on video or anything like that. I'm doing one now called On the Waterfront, Light for the People, which came out of the work in Shanghai for the Shanghai Bund, which we did in 2018. You talked to me a little bit about the Shanghai Bund when we were catching up earlier today. That project was, I believe you put it as close to being able to really do something creative as maybe you've ever gotten the opportunity to. What did that teach you? Well, many things, including uh, you never know which projects offer that reward. You just can't be sure. You don't know. Sure, historically, culturally significant in so many different ways. And the old uh, buildings of the Bun now, 100 years old, essentially. Most of them were built between 1921 and 1931 the 40 buildings along the Bund. And they are across the Wangpu River from the Pudong, which is probably in the world the uh, epicenter of colored dynamic lighting on architecture. 
So the opportunity to do something in contrast to that was irresistible. So when we were awarded the project, it was very exciting. And we ended up with an owner who, who got it, uh, the, the head of the municipal authority who essentially ran the project and controlled the lighting for that area. He was swayed by the idea that white light would be appropriate. And so there are no colored lights. How about that? How about that? It's 2020 LED technologies out there. You can control, you can flip back and forth. There's DJ lights everywhere. But white light is what made the difference. Exactly. And so just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. And just because you could make it 2D, 3D rainbow lighting, we managed to instead go to a tunable white for very interesting reasons, some of which are sort of psycho-emotional the, uh, the, the high-pressure sodium lamp, which became the de facto floodlight for a whole generation of city light-ups in major cities, whether you talk about Moscow, Istanbul, Paris, it was all high-pressure high sodium. So you have a whole generation of post-World War II old people who think that's how a, the lighting should look, golden light. So before you go changing it to 3,000 Kelvin light, you better be careful you don't get in trouble. And so part of the discussion in Shanghai was to, in fact, do a tunable white that could allow them over time to shift from a more golden color into white, you know, sticking you in slowly warming and boiling oil. You won't feel it. I I, I don't know. So it's an interesting, a whole lot of conversations about it and... So I think it was successful for a lot of reasons, and it could have easily. It was almost if you had to write a recipe for a disastrous project, having multiple lighting designers and multiple manufacturers and multiple ownership entities, that's part of the recipe. Those are the ingredients for disaster. Instead, what we got is a great success. Go figure. Go figure. It was something that absolutely turned out spectacular. And like you said, you never know where that's coming from. This guy named Howard Branson told me, have an open mind. And an open mind can certainly do a lot for you when it comes to approaching every project with with a blank slate. But ultimately, if you are going to repeat what you do every day, you'll become static, you'll become stale. And when you want to learn, that creates an opportunity to do something that I would argue you and your peers have been able to do over the better part of uh, 40 years at Fisher Marine Stone. Uh, it's nice that you say that, and I think it might be true. And for example, in Shanghai, we had to make sure we knew about the latest DMX protocols, the latest advancements in uh, color tuning LEDs, the limitations of control, just the kind of research that you would do anyway, and yet piling it all together on a big project was very exciting. When you were awarded that project, you knew what the task was. Did you assemble what everyone knew and create an outline for what you had to go do to learn the missing pieces? Or did you just work through it one day at a time? We wrote a brief. We did a a concept design process. It was step by step, but with a strategy. Absolutely. How long did it take? That's the amazing thing. The whole thing was done within that calendar year. Wow. The award, the competition, the award to us, 
the uh, initial work and then the opening all within a 12 month period. I might uh, give you a little bit of credit for having a well captain shipped and a well-oiled machine to be able to execute. I mean, that's that's oh. that's, a, that's a big undertaking that takes a lot of hard work. I might have had something to do with it. Well, good for you. Charles, I think it's awesome to hear from you and learn how learning is important, how you never stop learning. And just as recently as last week, when you had three free hours, you sought out a place you had been so many times to continue to scratch and itch that curiosity. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us on what, welcome. It, on what it means to be curious. I look forward to seeing your next project result from the curiosity. And I just wanted to ask you one more question. Do you have any closing thoughts for anybody that uh, might be wondering where they could go find curiosity? Ooh, good one. If you see a book and you like it, buy it. Do you have any recommendations? Oh, I just bought a book called Where Architects Sleep, which will presumably be about hotels. <laughs> <laughs> the life of a traveling designer. Exactly. Yeah. It was recommended to me by another architect. I thought, oh, I have to go there. Well, I'll have to check that out. Unfortunately, I've moved on to the digital age of podcasts and audiobooks and listening, but I'll, I'll pick that up and check it out. Thanks again for your time, Charles. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, if you enjoyed this podcast, remember the best way to stay in the loop is to go back to wherever you listen to this and click follow or subscribe. Never miss a beat with the light pod, where we interview fascinating people, dynamic people, and really talk about what's going on in the world of lighting, how problems can be solved, and what might be on the horizon. Until then, cheers.